Open your Bible to two passages of Scripture. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to give you the background for this, beginning in verse 51. And then we'll read from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 51. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the honor of serving the Lord of glory. We pray that tonight the Holy Spirit would speak to every one of our hearts, that we might sense that God is here, that he has something for us to do, and something for us to hear, and something for us to yield to. And may every one of us have been drawn closer to the Lord through these great testimonies, how they, how they excited our hearts about what God can do in somebody's life and in others' lives. May that find lodging in our heart, and may there be victory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, remember, Paul was an apostle. Simon Peter was an apostle. We're looking at this from a little bit different perspective. Most likely, Paul wrote some of the things he wrote maybe before Peter did. Uh, Peter says one place, you know some of the hard things, hard to be understood that Paul wrote. He was referring to some of the things in, in the epistles. Well, Paul says, beginning in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I did not get to preach this morning. The theme that I had on my heart that I believe God gave me for this morning and tonight is that theme, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Some people just go into spiritual spurts. They get high when there's a revival meeting and then they sort of peter out. I don't believe God wants us to do that. I believe in revivals. I believe in revival meetings. I believe in evangelistic campaigns. 
The church I grew up in, where I was saved, was a, I thought was a great church. Dr. Finley F. Gibson was the pastor there for many years. He's the one that won me to the Lord. One of the interesting things about that great church, they never had a revival meeting. In all the years that I attended there, in those past years, I think they do now, they need it now. But during those years, they didn't seem to need it. There was only one Sunday in 22 years that somebody didn't walk down the aisle giving his heart to Christ. Dr. Gibson believed in a perennial revival, not spiritual spurts. I believe the same thing. I believe we do need times of spiritual refreshment. When we have someone come and you hear the old, old story through a new voice and you respond. But beloved, <clears throat> God is not honored nor pleased nor blessed when we get way up in a revival meeting and then peter on out and go down and down and live our life in the valley. We may not live up there on the mountain all the time, but God never wants us to live in the valley. There's a plateau, and that's where we need to live in touch with heaven, lifting people out of the valley, going after the lost. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, how are we going to do that? I think Simon Peter comes along sometime after that and gives us the formula. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you'll turn in your Bible to that passage, <clears throat> it was read this morning by Brother Teddy. Brother Joshua read the passage from 1 Corinthians tonight. Both of these joined together in building the message, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Verse 4, by which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if these for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now notice, if these things be in you and abound, they make you <clears throat> that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the work of the Lord. I think that's the goal we have. God doesn't want us to be barren. God does not want us to be unfruitful. God wants us to always abound in the work of the Lord. 
the ancients years ago made lists of what they called the seven deadly sins. I think those seven deadly sins were rearranged or recatalogued from time to time through the dark ages. But I believe if we, as we list them tonight, you can sense that these are the sins that beset people. They have beset people all through the years and they beset people today. And they are interrupters to our always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen to them. Those ancients said the first deadly sin that was listed was avarice. A hunger for money. A hunger for material things. Prosperity. Which has led many people to go way out of the will of God. I've seen teenagers who really love the Lord give themselves to the Lord and then they get about 16, maybe 15, 16 or 17, and they gotta have some money. And so they go to the fast food places and they make their applications and they say, well, you have to work on Sunday. Now the reason they work on Sunday is because of avarice. They don't have to do that. If you're, if you're supporting a family and your job, like a telephone job or a railroad job or hospital job, doctors and so on, it might be necessary to do that on Sunday. But I would say that most young people that take their first steps away from God do it over avarice, trying to make money when they don't have to do it. I believe God will give you the kind of job that you don't have to live like that. We had a young man in our church a number of years ago, seemed to love the Lord, sang beautifully. <clears throat> he got a job. And I know personally other people that work there who had told them when they first started, I don't work on Sunday. This young man went to job, he needed money, he said, so he started working there. I talked to him privately, I said, did you tell your employer that you did not want to work on Sunday. He said, no, I didn't tell him that. I said, well, how do you feel about working on Sunday? He said, I don't want to. I said, well, it may be too late, but you could go and try it. <clears throat> he went to his employer. His employer said, I don't believe you. If you really had a conviction like that when you first came to work, you would have told me then. And I'm just telling you, avarice a desire for money, prosperity, material things, is one of those deadly sins that leads people away from God, away from the sharp testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to avoid that. You may not find other preachers that feel that way. Maybe your parents don't feel that way. But you're getting that from God honor the Lord's day and the Lord will bless you for it. Number two, a second deadly tragic sin is the sin of adultery. And this is one of the seven deadly sins that was mentioned. And when they mentioned adultery, they did not mention just all sexual promiscuity. Perhaps that's covered. 
But the goal, but the aim, as they thought about the deadly sin was, this is a sin against a covenant of love. Now the sexual promiscuity that goes on sometimes before marriage is tragic. In our days, we've learned that it gives all kinds of diseases. And there's a terrible plague upon America today, a plague of AIDS brought on by promiscuous sex, some of it homosexual, some of it heterosexual. But the deadly sin they were speaking of was this awful sin against the covenant of love. You're married. You have promised to be true and faithful to that one you have made a covenant with. You stood at the altar and said, I will be faithful to you. And then you break that covenant. And it's a deadly sin that hurts. And when you read in Proverbs that those go down to the strange woman, very few of them ever come back. And that's true whether you're married or not married. The awful sin of impurity. God says it's a deadly sin. And all through the ages, God's people have called it a deadly sin. And Paul says, always abound in the work of the Lord. And Peter comes along and says, here's how you're going to abound in the work of the Lord. And I'm going to come to that in a moment. But the interrupters to that are these deadly sins. Thirdly, theft, stealing, theft, whether it's the theft of somebody's reputation, whether it's the theft of somebody's pencil or pen or somebody's homework or somebody's knowledge on a test through cheating or whether it's breaking in a bank or whether it's going into a store and taking things and putting them in your pocket and not paying for them. All of that is theft. And they class that as one of the seven deadly sins that interrupts spiritual power and leads to depression and hurt and discouragement and defeat. Instead of always abounding in the work of the Lord, people that get involved in this are sometimes up and down, up and down, up and down. Fourthly, unforgiveness, a deadly sin. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. How? As we forgive those who trespass against us. And then the Lord added a PS to that in the sixth chapter of Matthew. He said, for if we forgive men their trespasses against us. Our Heavenly Father will forgive our trespasses against Him. But if we forgive not men their trespasses against us, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses against Him. And I think the meaning there is that you cannot accept God's forgiveness as long as you harbor something against somebody else. An illustration of this, years ago I tried to lead a lady who lived on Magnolia to the Lord. Went to see her often. Talked to her about how to be saved. And this particular morning, I was talking to her about how to give her heart to Christ. And, and, I, and I just felt impressed. I don't know why. It seemed like the Lord was impressing me to say, is there anybody that you have not forgiven that's hurt you and you have not forgiven them? You see, I'd get right down to 
asking her to pray to receive Christ, and she just couldn't do it. And so when I asked her that question, she looked at me startled. She said, well, it's strange you would ask that. She said, the lady across the street has been mean to me and talked against me, and I have a grudge in my heart against her, and I don't want to forgive her. I said, well, I called her name. I said, you'll never be forgiven until you forgive her. You'll never understand God's forgiving grace. You'll never understand how to be saved until you go forgive her. I said, I'm going to go. I'm going to come back later on today. And I want to ask you, if you would have the grace, ask God to give you the grace to go over there and tell that lady you want her, that you're forgiving her for what she's done, and so on. I said, will you do that? She said, I'll try. So later that afternoon, I came back. And when I went to the door, the lady said, preacher, you don't have to come in. She said, I'm already saved. I said, when did you get saved? She said, I got saved right in the middle of the street out there. She said, I went across there to tell that woman that I would forgive her. And she was coming over to tell me something that she was uh, sorry that she had sinned against me. And she said, we met right there in the middle of the, of the street and hugged each other. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart. She said, I'll be down at the church Sunday and make it public. Unforgiveness is one of the deadly sins, whether it's in a believer's life or an unbeliever's life. And I believe that one of the things that hinders God's people is we hold grudges in our hearts. Somebody has hurt us and we don't forgive them. Somebody has talked against us, we don't forgive them. We need to forgive as we expect God to forgive us. Fourth, fifthly, murder. Murder is one of the seven, listed as one of the seven deadly sins. And the reason is because it's taking something you cannot give back. There's no way you can make murder. You can't make up for it. I would kill Mickey. What could I do to bring Mickey back to life? I could ask God to forgive me. I'm sure God would forgive me because God's grace is so rich. Nothing I could do to bring him back. Now Jesus said murder starts in the heart. If you have hatred in your heart against somebody, that's where murder starts. And this is one of the interrupters to the fellowship we have in Christ and to the victory in Christian life. Sixthly, the sixth deadly sin is the sin of jealousy. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. And sometimes jealousy is more wicked than open immorality. I've known homes that have been broken up because some wife is jealous of her husband or some husband is jealous of his wife and they cannot trust each other. Maybe they gave a reason for not trusting. But I wanna tell you, when Christ comes into our heart, he forgives us. And the only way we can ever live peaceably in a home is to trust husband, trust wife, and ask God to do it. It's just like, how do you get love for people? It's natural for us to be selfish. We don't love people. But when we ask God to give us that love, he can do it. God can take away the jealous heart, the jealous spirit, and get rid of it. In a husband-wife relationship, how wonderful it would be if no one would ever give a reason for jealousy.
There are some people that just have a jealous heart. It begins in girlfriend-boyfriend times. Some girl thinks that a boy's going out with somebody else. My advice to you, if some other girl can get him, you better let, him, let her have him. You'll have a battle like that all your life. Some boy's afraid that some other boy's going to get his girlfriend. Best thing you can do is let him, let her have, let him have her. If you don't do that, you're going to battle that all your life. Find somebody you can trust. Somebody you can believe in. And if you're the kind of person that meanders around and is always trying to find somebody else, ask God to help you. As a believer, God can help you in a thing like this. You don't have to do that. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The last one is arrogancy. Arrogancy. Pride goeth before a fall. How awful the deadly sin of arrogancy is. Now you see how all these seven deadly sins hurt the fellowship that can be in Christ Jesus. Arrogancy, an arrogant attitude. Sometimes kids are arrogant toward their parents. Just as if our parents didn't know anything at all. We think we know it all. And so we just sort of stare them down or throw a fit or we cry, cry, cry and think that mom and dad are going to have pity on us because we're crying. What we need to be done, what needs to be done to us is just put us in our room, let us cry it out and then go on and obey mom and dad. God gave us mothers and dads for a reason. They're the steward of our soul and of our life for the first 18 years. And we need to pray. Moms and dads pray for wisdom in the dealing with children. And kids, you, especially you kids who are saved, pray for God's spiritual humility so that you can recognize that moms and dads are in charge. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now quickly in closing, Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. How are we to always abound in the work of the Lord? Well, Peter comes along and says, Paul says some things that are hard to understand, but I want to tell you how it can be done. Verse 5, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now, faith is the basic plank. Nobody is ever saved without faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue involves modesty. It involves purity. Add to your faith virtue. I've heard some people say, well, it doesn't really make a difference how you live after you're saved. You're saved. You've got a clear shot to heaven. You can live any way you want to live. They misunderstand the Bible. They misunderstand salvation. They misunderstand faith. Faith won't let you do that. But he says, add to your faith virtue. This is a day when modesty has disappeared and virtue is on its way out. Who can find a virtuous woman? You don't like me to preach in the spring because I preach about the, the nakedness of some of our people in the summer. I love you anyway. I feel like I need to say this. When summer comes, you see, I know personally that girls and guys both don't just dress down wear as little as they can just because of the weather. You remember that cold spell we had a few weeks ago after we'd had some warm days? It was about 19 degrees. And I saw some girls running around in shorts. Had nothing to do with the weather. 
had nothing to do with keeping cool. It had to do with showing yourself off. You say, that's too plain, preacher. That's all right, I love you anyway. But I want to tell you, modesty has disappeared and virtue is on its way out. I want to encourage you, when summer comes, dress modestly. Guys and girls, I don't believe there's a double standard. Guys and girls, there used to be a time we thought that men lusted after women. We're living in an age when women lust after men. And you, you, you never know what's happening. You may cause somebody to sin. You may cause somebody to have poor, rad, bad, immoral thoughts. And so add to your faith virtue. This is for Christians. I'm not telling you how to be saved. You're not going to be saved because you're modest. You're not going to be saved because you wear a lot of clothes. <laughs> you're saved by faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit right here is saying, hey, you want to always abound in the work of the Lord? Add to your faith some things. Number one, virtue. Number two, knowledge. Study to show thyself approved unto God, workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Sometimes on Sunday nights after teen time, we have what we call a disciple meeting. And some of the young people get together and we go out there and, at uh, Shawnee's and we eat and we talk about the things of God. We talk about the scriptures. We memorize scripture. And I think what we need to do is go deeper with God all the time. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. And then the knowledge, self-control or, or moderation, self-control, down boy. You ever heard that expression? Down boy. I need to say down girl too. Keep yourself. Paul put it this way. I beat my body into subjection, lest after I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Self-control. Thirdly, add to your, again, add to your self-control patience. Patience means endurance. Add to patience, godliness. A godliness means reverential awe. I cannot understand for the life of me how godly young people and older people can keep their eyes open when we pray. I don't understand it. You know, occasionally, because I've heard that this happens, occasionally I open my eyes to find out what's happening, and you'd be amazed at the at people that don't close their eyes when we pray. I think God told me to do that to find out so I could preach on it. Because <laughs> I didn't really believe anybody. When I was a little boy, I don't know where I got the reverence for God. I was afraid God would see me if I opened my eyes when we prayed. And I didn't want God to see me so irreverent. So I want to beg you, have reverential awe. That's what godliness is. Reverential awe toward the things of God. Not only in reverence, closing our eyes when we pray, but not passing notes around when we do it. And not getting up and walking in and out when we pray. Some people use prayer as an excuse to get up and move. So they think nobody will see them. I was standing in the back of the church one day, and not this church, another church I was visiting, and, and the usher was standing there and he had his head bowed. And the, the person that came in said to the usher, let me go in now while they're praying, nobody will see me. That's not the time to go in. It's time when you pray and then stand outside. Now, if you're joining a little prayer meeting, you ought to go on in and pray with them. And if it's on Wednesday night when we're on our knees, come on in and pray with us. But if it's in a public service where somebody's leading in prayer, wait at the door until the prayer is finished. 
reverential awe. Add, see, this is godliness. Godliness. I'm talking about saved people. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control patience, and to patience godliness. Godliness. That will certainly outlaw all those little old filthy words we use. Would you like for God to hear you using barnyard language? When the Lord Jesus comes and your mouth's filled with four-letter words, and all of a sudden you see Jesus, what are you going to do? Or when you just got through rounding out a whole line of profanity, blah, 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 D this and H this and all that kind of stuff, what are you going to do when Jesus suddenly appears? Well, I want to tell you, Jesus is right there anyway. He hears you. He sees you every step of the way. You want to always abounding in the work of the Lord? Then add to your faith these things that we're mentioning in the Scripture. Self-control, patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness. Let's be kind to each other. <laughs> Kids, don't just barrel through the church and knock somebody down. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that and run on. Just walk through the church. That you feel a little bit, you feel like I'm preaching at you tonight. The shoe fits where it. But you see, we need to learn how to behave in the house of God. And then he says, in addition to brotherly kindness, it's like, it's like the icing on a cake. Several years ago, we were going to have a cake auction for our seniors, and they convinced me that I ought to bake a cake. And so, I went to somebody's house, and I got them to show me how to do it, and I made this round thing, you know, let me pick all my stuff up here, that's all. I went to this house, and uh, they showed me how to use this pan, you grease it with butter or lard or something, whatever you put in it, shortening of some kind, I think. And you, so it won't stick. And then you, you, you make this round thing. I don't really know what you call it. They, I think it's a layer or something like that. And then uh, you put some goo over that layer. And then you put, bake another one of those things and you stick it down on it. And then if you want three of those things, you stick, bake another one, you stick it down on the top, and after you put some more goo on there. All right, now you've got this thing. Now, you want to make it beautiful. I thought I want to make that cake beautiful. It ought to bring some good money at that auction. And so I got the, all this stuff, uh, you know, you mix all this stuff together that's uh, supposed to be delicious, uh, icing, and I stirred it all up, got it all hot, put it all over there. And, well, I forgot some. You're supposed to bake it first. That's mistake number one. I went on and put all that icing on, put it in the oven, and you can imagine what happened. The oven got filled with icing. So I started over. And I got this round thing, put it on there again, some more goo, and round thing, goo, round thing. And then I put it all in the oven. And guess what happened that time? They, they, I didn't understand what they meant, but they said it fell. <laughs> I don't know what falling means, but it didn't look very good. It looked lopsided and it just didn't look good at all. But you know what I did? 
I took that same cake. I didn't want, I didn't have time to make it over again. So I took that same cake <clears throat> and I got all this uh, icing stuff stirred up again and I poured it on the cake and then I went under with my finger, lifted part of that cake that had fallen and put a toothpick under it. And then I poured more goo, uh, more icing on it. And after a while, all the cracks and all the uneven things in that cake were covered. And it looked beautiful. I never did tell anybody till now. What, what was, I don't know if anybody here bought that cake, but if you found toothpicks in it, it's no wonder. I started to put quarters in it to hold it up. <laughs> anyway, that icing reminded me of love. That's exactly what love does to our lives. Our lives don't look so good a lot of times. And we have all kinds of problems. And we have uneven things in our lives. But if we'll cover it with love, that's what this writer says. Peter says, add love, like the icing on the cake, and your life will be beautiful. A number of years ago, somebody wrote a song, Make My Life Beautiful. James, our beloved James Gray, picked that song up and used it as a life theme. Something beautiful, something beautiful. God made something beautiful in my life. And I want to say to you tonight, if you want a beautiful life that will honor Christ, watch those deadly sins. Keep in your mind the theme always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not a bunch of spiritual spurts where you go way up and then you go way down and stay down and then you go up and down and up and down. <clears throat> Just stay going for God. And the way to do it is to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge and on all of these things then cover it all over with love because love covers a multitude of sins. But if you're not saved, those things don't help you get saved. We're saved by making a beeline to the cross, confessing to Him our sins, and asking His forgiveness, and asking to cleanse us and forgive us and save us, and He'll do it. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. I thank you for putting up with this rough voice tonight. Whatever God has said to your heart, would you respond and say, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. I will be what you want me to be. I will make the changes in my life that need to be made. I yield to Christ. If you're not a Christian, won't you come to him tonight? If you're already saved, are you really counting for Christ? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? Why not ask him tonight to help you? Our Father, have thine own way in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Hymn number 334, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. As we sing, will you step out for Christ? If you're here and you've already been saved, you need to follow the Lord in baptism, you need to come. If you've never been saved, come to Christ tonight. And if you're a Christian, are you living where God answers prayer? God help you today.